Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Colby Cast, your place for community and conversation about pop culture and storytelling. Well, on this episode, Star Wars giveth and Star Wars taketh away. Caleb and I are going to attempt to tackle the last two episodes of The Bad Batch, Season 2, and um, the most recent episode of The Mandalorian, The Pirate. So without further ado, hello, Caleb. Hello. So as I said, Star Wars uh, was a beautiful thing this week, and it was a it was also a, a very emotional thing this week, and I'm gonna I'm gonna let you make this decision because really it doesn't matter to me. Which show do you want to tackle first, The Bad Batch or Mando? I don't want to talk about The Bad Batch, so I will refuse to talk about The Bad Batch ever again, <laughs> so we can talk whatever you'd like to talk about. Well, I mean, it's just, it's no, it's, it would be so easy to talk about both of them, and so difficult to talk about one of them. So let's just go with the tough one first, because I'm sure we have a lot to say with it, um, about it, I should say. Let's go with the Bad Batch. So episode 15, episode 16, entitled The Summit and Plan 99. Um, needless to say, and if you listen to us, you know that we're we're going into spoilers. We're going into spoilers right now. And this is your one warning for the Bad Batch. And I'm just going to skip right to it. I cannot believe. I can't. I can't believe it, Caleb. I can't believe it. I don't want to believe that tech is gone. I don't want to believe it. With this, with that being said, his sacrifice was so incredible. It was so emotional. It was so perfect. He literally saved them with his sacrifice as Hunter talks about later on in the episode. But is this something where I'm, I'm sort of like struggling with hope beyond hope. Maybe he fell onto something do do we want it to stay this way i don't know that i do but at the same time you, the the cost that comes with life that they live sometimes you have to deal with this i just can't believe they did this i just can't i don't even know how to process it in my brain help me help me young man help me obi-wan kenobi you're my only hope the first thing i said in my mind was they better not kill him the second he started to go out on the railing, it was like, okay, they either he either gets captured or he's gonna die, and I don't want him to die because he he is who Wrecker is to you, but to me, I love Tech. I've loved Tech since they introduced him. I just think he's so funny, even though he's not supposed to be funny. He's just yeah. He he. I'm saying it as he is uh, existing in the universe. That we live in, not just Star Wars universe, uh, but uh, I do think he's he's dead. But the thing that keeps me um, with the smallest sliver of hope is that no one's really ever dead in Star Wars. But at yes. the same time, they what was his name? What is his name? Hemlock. He yeah. sh- he throws uh, text glasses at uh, as like a, pretty much like a yeah yeah you know who it is uh, and. Uh, they're like, this is the only thing that we could salvage. So yep. I'm not going to try and help you um, cope because, unfortunately, <laughs> he's gone. <laughs> I'm just stating the facts. But the whole time I was just trying to think, okay, 
how could he have gotten out? How could he have gotten out? But he's a very much a uh, a facts first type of person, and he knew exactly what he was doing, and he knew that that was the only way he could save the rest of his family. So, and I say that very uh, meaningfully because though that is his family. That wasn't just the batch, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you, hundred um, percent. When this was all going down, I. Uh, I thought of the fact that, you know, what, what tech means to you specifically as a character, but I also thought about another good friend of the show and someone who's been on the show and a good friend, uh, named Frank Mulder and he loves tech. Uh, tech's been his guy from the beginning as well. Uh, Tom Gross as well. A good friend of, of the show has also been on the Colby cast. He's also a big tech fan. So I haven't really talked to either of these guys, um, specifically about, uh, tech, uh, but just know Caleb that you have your tech fan club is morning with you. Um, I wrecker has been my favorite batch, bad batcher. Uh, but I can tell you that tech, I have a special place in my heart for tech and it's really the, this season's fault. Uh, I always appreciated and, and loved his, his angle and his perspective on things, but this season, you know, he, he's really shined in this season. He really did. He, they gave him a lot of time to grow a lot of time to do a lot of cool things and really become even more pivotal to the group. Um, with that being said, I am never very good. And I've said this before, but I'm never very good at seeing things coming. I know you are, you know, things developing. Um, but you mentioned it as soon as he, he started to become isolated in this whole episode. Like the, the group continued to be split apart at one point. Uh, Wrecker and Omega are down trying to plant the tracker. At one point, Echo's by himself. And at one point, Hunter and Tech are by themselves. But then once they get onto that train, he goes up to reboot. And that's immediately when I started getting worried. Just because of the incredible visual storytelling. Oh, go ahead. So I started to feel something was going to happen to him when Fee was like, Come back soon, brown eyes. Something yep. along those lines. So I was like, okay, they're either going to kill him and then I'm going to kill the writers <laughs> or uh, he's going to get captured and stick with Omega because they've spent so much of this season leading up to what they gave us here in Omega being captured, yep. getting back to um, what's her name? Um, the Kaminoan. Nala say. Nala say. There you go getting her back to Nala say and they made it clear that they wanted to get her early and a part of me was like okay maybe tech crosshair and omega are going to be in that like what would you even call that a prison yeah it's like that it's like well it's like a cloning facility there you go um but then as it kept going on stakes kept getting higher situation kept getting more grave and i was like they're gonna kill my boy they're gonna kill my boy aren't they and I then didn't. my brain is automatically like, okay, why didn't they just use the grappling hook? It was very obvious that <laughs> those were very utilized this episode. They should have just shot him in the chest and dealt with that after. Let him keep like like hanging from the bottom of this very fast railing as they get through the rest. But no, they had to shoot him. But how about that shot? That was very crosshair-esque oh, to me. It was just how come he had to be so adept at shooting in, in that moment? Right. Why? Okay. I want to, I want to, we, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I think we could talk about this, just this one scene probably a long, long time. And it's fine if we do that. It's okay with me. 
because we, we have to process these emotions, Caleb. We do. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to start a uh, recovery group with our friends who are who share the same love for tech. All of a sudden, the um, name Grief Karga means a lot different. Something different now, right? Grief. It can be a good grief. <laughs> it's just a very bad attempt at making a joke about grief. Um, <laughs> you mentioned... So I was saying that, like, I don't usually see these things coming, but I started to get worried as soon as he got up on the railing and he's isolated and he's by himself. And that's a result of just this scene that they've constructed and the visuals that they ended the episode 15 with, where they literally are showing them hanging, um, in over, you know, suspended over nothing, like just so high up, they've got another car within shooting range. Then the tension is ratcheted up even more with Tarkin sending in air support and not even caring if he kills his stormtroopers with that air support. The danger was just, no pun intended, was like ratcheted up to 99. And here's Tech standing up on this pole, right? And then having to run back on this rail. And just the the danger of it all was so gripping. And that is just, I, I give all my praise and, and and thanks to the storytellers for that because that is incredible storytelling uh visual storytelling and, and everything but you also mentioned his conversation with fee my first viewing of that of this episode i didn't catch that but then on the second viewing knowing what we know i'm like oh of course like that scene is so touching and so pretty and so beautiful this budding friendship maybe more with fee of course of course you have to think you know looking back i was like they're setting us up they're telling us like your boy is going to be in grave danger here and god you just you guys are just ripping out our hearts but then take that and look back with now now that we have our end of season two goggles on and yes i said goggles on purpose (laughs) We've got our end of season two goggles on looking back over the whole course of the season. I think they were setting us up for this from the beginning because they're giving him such the, such an incredible storyline and such great character growth. I'm thinking about the episode where they're doing the racing, right? Where, um, with fee, uh, telling them about Sid and then, you know, what's his name? Um, yeah, tech tech has such a great, uh, episode in in that one and then go yeah. to the other episode the other sort of two-part episode where they're stuck on that planet in the mining system and he has those incredible moments with omega and he and we're getting to know him so much more this season than we did last season so when you look at these things of course you're like oh they're just making us love him even more because this they're just gonna come they're gonna what is it that mon mothma said you show him the rock in one hand and you but you don't show him the knife in the other that's what they did to us they showed us this wonderful tech in one hand and they're like, nope, we're going to um, we're going to really ratchet up the stakes in this series uh, like no other. And I yeah. was shocked, shocked. You're absolutely right. Hindsight's 2020 always. And if we would have known that this would be the season finale and the finale for tech, which is I would be very surprised if they went back on it. But um if I would have known that this was it for tech, I would have appreciated him a lot more. All that to say that I hate season two and I never <laughs> want to watch it again. No, no. Well, I think that's uh, I think that's where we are right now. 
but come a few days from now when Star Wars Celebration starts and they announce a season three for us, I'm going to be doing back backflips and I'm expecting you to be right there um, helping me do the, do those because I can't do a backflip. <laughs> if they announce a season three, I will watch it and I will have some sort of support animal next to me ready for my tears, but <laughs> they better have a tech spinoff to compensate for my heartbreak. So that's a good question because I remember, you know, when Rebels was going on and it was that, um, I'm sure everybody listening to this right now has watched Rebels, but I'll give the, um, the, the courtesy of a spoiler warning anyway, but in the end of season two, so spoilers for season two and Rebels in general, when, uh, in the episodes Twilight of the, Impr- of, of the Apprentice with Ahsoka and, and Darth Vader fighting, uh, that season makes us that the the conclusion to that season leaves us thinking that Ahsoka is dead, and then the following, um, uh, the following off season for the show was all hashtag Ahsoka lives, and she didn't come back in season three. I think it wasn't until season four that they brought her back. So all this time, people are hashtag Ahsoka lives. I, I think we need to start it. I think we need to start uh, hashtag Tech lives because, yep. like you said quoting luke skywalker here nobody's ever really gone and as mu- as beautiful as the sacrifice was i i, I want tech back <laughs> i'm yeah. just gonna say it i don't want tech back poor little omega they're asking oh her God. if she's okay it, well they're like checking on her injuries and stuff and she's like the last thing i remember is this and then her face and just the amazing voice acting of just the the shock and mm-hmm. fear and already trying to very slowly comprehend the severity of what happened. And she just immediately asks, where's tech and just mm-hmm. bolts up and wants to go look for him. Mm-hmm. And they have to break the news to her because she's, she's smart enough to know she's just maybe in denial, but that scene was so powerful. Yeah. They made us go through it twice. They made us go through yeah. it in, in real life in real time. And then they made us go through it uh, with Omega realizing it. I, I really thought that that whole scene, I mean, everything about these two episodes was effective, but this was, I mean, I, I grade a plus 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 storytelling in these last two episodes. Yeah. Um, because it did, it did tell such a, an incredible story from beginning to end, which paid off on a lot of things that they had been setting up, uh, in the second half of the season. Um, the situations that they constructed for them, this thing that they're trying to attempt to do, which is just try to find out where crosshair is to try to save crosshair. That was the impetus for this whole thing. Then um, before we move, move to uh, other parts of the episodes, I wanted to bring up what you were talking about, which was Omega. And I just thought it was so effective the way that um, after tech sacrifices himself and that train just sort of shoots straight off so fast and then it crashes it does this thing where it did it's done it one other time i I remember last season when cad bane was after them when it's like omega's perspective and she's going in and out of consciousness and i just find that to be so eerie and so tense and so difficult for the audience because you can't see anything except for what they want to show you and you know, you're hearing some dialogue, you're seeing some images, but it's only for like a second or two. And then they wake up and we wake up with her on Ord Mantel. Um, and like you said, yeah, she 
clearly had some kind of head trauma uh, because she had some gaps in her memory, but then she started filling in those gaps. And you were right to say and bring up um, Michelle Ong's voice performance because she kills it all the time. Every, I mean, repeatedly she proves how great she is at this. Um, but this is another one of those examples. And the animators and the facial expressions that they give uh, Omega, her eyes just go super big. And I mean, animation, Star Wars animation in general has come so far. Uh, and it's, this is just like the top of the mountain, no pun intended, again. I Why shake we... my fist at you because there will be no death or killing puns in this grieving episode. You said she kills it. I will kill you. <laughs> and then I talked about the top of the mountain, which, you know, mountain. Um, no. I'm, I'm starting to see a trend here that we revert to puns when we're dealing with um, heavy loss. It's a coping it, mechanism. It is a coping mechanism. Um, <laughs> can we talk a second about how I think I have found a new level? And I didn't know that this was this was here, but I found a new level of um, anger and dislike for Saw Gerrera because yeah. a case could be made that this was all his fault and it was his fault. It 100% is all his fault. And I mean, what a fun surprise. Like we get a, um, they call him commander Krennic. Krennic is there in that meeting, right? He's, um, from rogue one. He's the, mm. the one that's in charge of the death star. And they even drop the, the name project, uh, project Stardust. Stardust. Uh, we get, I, I didn't look on the credits, but I would love to see if it, if it's the same actor. Um, but then we get the reveal that saw Guerrera is there as well. And I thought that was really effective because it was just, the idea was introduced through dialogue, right? Um, what's, uh, it's echo says that something is, is going on, right? That, uh, something, something is not right. And they're talking about yeah. surveillance systems are, are being deactivated and then they find a a bomb and then boom we see saw Guerrera. and for a moment i thought to myself wait the person that's with him could it be jenner so i don't know the mm. timeline of things but we know that she was up she was with him up until the point where she was like a teenager but then that character spoke and it wouldn't it, the accent didn't um didn't line up but i thought that would that would have been a fun little nod uh at the same time though who knows how it would have worked with the accent anyway so Saw comes along and he messes everything up. And I think it's just an interesting conversation because his motives have always been selfish. His motives have always been, you know, damn the rest of you. I'm going to do what I feel is right. And I'm going to do it my way. And his way is destruction. His way is chaos. And his way interrupted what the batch was trying to do, which was try to save. They're trying to save someone. And the bad batch is going about things. They're, they're still, you know, not as much anymore in this episode, but they're still stunning clones. They're not trying to kill clones. They're not trying to kill. They're trying to things changed in this episode for sure. But, um, but up to this point, they've always been about almost like a defense and a saving motivation rather than, uh, saw Guerrera and his, his, uh, his destruction and, and chaos. So to see these two groups of characters or these two ideals represented in this episode and end up with such drastic consequences, it made me angry at Saul Guerrera. It really did. And I hadn't really experienced that with that character up to this point, but yeah, now he's, he's not, he's not, I'm not a fan of his now. Another thing I caught on to was this was another failed mission. I don't, I can't remember any this season 
that went well. Of course, you come to expect expect it with clones and just Star Wars in general, where a a, a, a plan never really goes the way you, you your mission never goes to plan, right? So you adapt, you adapt, and then ultimately it goes well. Well, for the batch this season, it just seemed like one after another. They plan for something, and then the mission goes completely haywire, and then they just try and escape with their lives. Well, they escaped with nothing this time. They escaped and lost tech. They didn't get the tracker to keep going because Saul Guerrero blew up the whole area. Yep. They uh, they were able to get away because they negotiated, right, to an extent, and then they lost Omega. And I thought it was powerful for Hunter at the end to say, we're not going to stop until we find her. But to me, it just felt like a day late, a dollar short. I think the entire theme for this season, you, you used the word, was loss. They they lost uh, along every step of this season. The only mission that they were even successful at was, ironically, the one where they went to Pabu. That episode started out Oh, the sky is falling. <laughs> um, the only one that they were successful at was that one where they were at like a cantina or whatever, and they were bargaining something with Fee. It was with um, a character named Crowder. And of course, they planned for it to go haywire. So they kept, they got the relic that Fee was looking for. Yeah. And um, they also got the credits too. So that was the only thing that could be really considered a success. Everything else was a lo- every every step of the way they are losing they lost all s- this whole season and they ended it with a major loss a major loss um and really to to me it's sort of like um this is the empire strikes back of the bad batch because empire strikes back our heroes lose in the end of that movie as well and you know that is this season they lost um so we can go ahead and put a cap uh, or, or cap off this one with a, one last thing, of course, the season ends off. Two two quick things. The way that it ends is that they're they've gotten back to the Marauder, you know, Wrecker, um, Hunter, and Echo. And I wrote down uh, sort of paraphrase what uh, what Hunter says, which is, "We're going to get her back. We won't stop searching until we do." So clearly, season three is going to be um, the search for Omega. And I'm here for it. I want it now. So I'm hoping that it's just ready to go and they can just hit play and it'll be here for us. But I know that's not going to happen. So then the actual season ends. Back on Tantus, Omega arrives. Of course, Hemlock. Man, he's been in what, like three episodes? And this guy is evil and creepy. And he could be the big bad for the rest of the series for all I'm concerned. Because he's gross. He's a really good villain. Um. So they arrive there, of course, Omega sees Nala say, and we find out that uh, Emery Carr is her sister, which I'm not too surprised about because we had talked about it before. Like the accent provides a direct connection. Something is is very uh, similar about that because no other character has the same accent or a similar accent as um, as Omega. And then when she took her goggles off and you could see that what they had been hiding from us was like, practically the exact same color eyes as omega uh just different hair hairstyle so or hair color so i think it's really interesting not that that's too much of a surprise but it's i'm looking forward to seeing where that goes because that's an interesting dynamic to me uh she's clearly older than omega does she have like the growth 
um, acceleration like the clones do, and she's actually younger than Omega. She's just bigger in in stature. Uh, or does she predate the the clones? Right? Uh, what does she have to do with the Kaminoans? I've been interested in this character from the beginning, but this makes it even more interesting to me. So those are really my last thoughts there on the Bad Batch. Yeah, I uh, it I liked that they gave us that little Easter egg right at the end and then just cut to black. Um, and it made it a little bit more clear why she was so nice to Crosshair and so like just human to him instead of just being like, oh, you're my prisoner. You're... I'm going to probe you a bunch of times and get the information I need. So I thought it was cool. I'm curious to know what the dynamic is going to be between the sisters now that we have uh, the dynamic between Omega and her brothers. So um, RIP in peace to my boy Tech. And uh, we'll, we'll see what season three has for us if there is a season three. There's no way there isn't the way it left off. So. It's sort of funny because it's like there's no official announcement, but the end of this season is the announcement. <laughs> there's no way. I'm really, really praying beyond hope that there's no way that this series ends this way. <laughs> it's just so, yeah. so many um, dangling threads that need to be uh, sewn up. Um, so, yeah, we'll see when the official uh, thing comes along. But, man, I just, you know, I just thought back to you know, the two of us sitting there in celebration and watching the Bad Batch panel, seeing D. Bra- Bradley Baker and Michelle Ong perform a scene live, you know, and, and D is going from one character to another with just within a breath's time. Um, yeah. It's like, a, it's like, a, it's come full circle now where we're almost to another celebration. Season two is now over and it all kicked off, boom, with that celebration panel. Um I, I know that a lot of people have had a lot of opinions on season two. I'm a big fan of it. Like I've said multiple times, I like sitting with these characters. I like seeing them grow. And then for it to cap itself off this way is uh, with two extremely powerful episodes. You know, if we get another, I don't think that season three is going to be structured the same way. But even if we did, um, I'm still here for it. I, I'm such a fan of Star Wars animation. They can literally do anything. And... Uh, Brad Rao and Jennifer Corbett are the ones that are now leading this show. You know, of course, Dave Filoni is involved in multiple other things, but he's really passed the torch to Brad Rao and Jennifer Corbett. And they, I mean, add them to the names of the list that of people I trust in Star Wars. That's the way I'll just put it. They did a stellar job with the season. And yeah, season three can't come quickly enough. Um, One last thought for me was we called it on sid sid was not going to help them anymore and for her to do what she did i wish her the worst i'm gonna say something really drastic and i really probably don't really mean it but you know if hunter had just turned his gun his blaster to the left and just blasted her as she walked out of the scene (laughs) i wouldn't i wouldn't have blamed him right because i mean that is such a gutless cold terrible thing and we all saw it coming we knew it was coming that was another thing that they planted the seed for early in the season um and i thought that they had done it a couple times already with her stranding them on the planet when they lost the ship and then their message you know on the way to pabu uh with her their conversation with her on the way to pabu i thought maybe that was going to be it but no they really brought it back in a for in a forceful way where they she just Man, and she even tried to act like she was sorry. She's not sorry. 
And you know what? She's put the radar. She's put the empire. She's put herself on the empire's radar now. Yep. And she gets whatever she gets. She deserves. So, man, my grief just turned to anger. <laughs> Thanks for bringing her up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and um, we're gonna we're gonna get on a different train here. We're gonna leave the Bad Batch train, the one that's hanging up in the air, and we're no, gonna get on another train. No. I will get cry. on the Mando train. Let's get on the Mando train. <laughs> Uh, because this is the episode I referred to when I said Star Wars giveth Star Wars took it away when they took our tech. Um, but Star Wars giveth here in this episode of the Mandalorian entitled the pirate, we get a, uh, return of Gorian shard, that cool, uh, seaweed looking pirate guy, uh, uh, Spoilers for Mandalorian, R.I.P. Gorian Shard. He's he didn't last long. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it's it, I don't know that anybody was too surprised for to see him return to Navarro and exact some revenge on Grief Karga because of what happened to his pirate crew in the first episode. So he's back and he's back for revenge. Um, you know, and the this the episode s- uh, starts out, opens up with um you know, him sending grief a message or he gives him a little bit of a star Wars FaceTime call. And he's just (laughs) like, uh, Hey, I'm here and I'm going to start blowing things up. And then he did like, he literally just started opening fire on Navarro. You know, he didn't just, he wasn't bluffing and grief cargo, you know, called his bluff. And then all of a sudden they start having blasters, um, and explosions. One of the things that that was interesting in this episode, in this scene, I should say is that, um, uh, I believe it was Gorian Shard that said to Grief, Navarro isn't protected by Moff Gideon anymore. Did yeah. you catch that? Because they were talking about how, um, you know, oh, the New Republic's going to come and help us. And he's like, New Republic, you're an independent system, right? You're not you're not on the New Republic's radar, and you're not protected by Moff Gideon. I didn't ever realize that Moff Gideon was in any way a protector of Navarro. So you caught that too? I caught it, and then it made me think the same thing. I was like, he sort of seemed like the protagonist in every episode he was in uh, that was related to Navarro. But then I thought of it, he's the moth, and then they're talking about titles. Maybe he's the moth of Navarro, but also in general. And then now we have High Magistrate and Magistrate ruling <laughs> Navarro. So um, I it made me definitely think as the episode was going on, and made me think differently because I never considered him the protector. Yeah, I didn't either. I, I thought he was, you know, obviously there for, uh, you know, trying to get Grogu and whatnot, but it makes sense if he was that involved in Navarro because the client, you know, the, the guy that started this whole thing by hiring Mando in the first place, he was c- clearly connected to, to Moff um, in one way, shape or form. So it's, it's starting to, it sort of made it clearer as to why all of this started on Navarro in the first place. I thought it was cool. I just thought it was an interesting um, line to add there. Then we shift real quick over to this, you know, it's a pretty cool. First of all, I was caught by the music, the music when they take us to like this sort of like X-Wing pilot hangout for the New Republic. Uh, it, it looked like it could have even been on Scarif with like the ocean and the, mm. the palm trees and stuff from Rogue One. Um, but anyway, we don't know where it's at. But it's cool because it's just like this hangout. We we see um, Captain Carson uh, Tiva back, right? He's he's been around since the first season, 
Uh, and his story off screen is so cool to me. I remember you telling me. So now every time I see him on screen, I'm like, hey, you're a nerd gone famous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and did you know that on his Twitter, I haven't looked this up, but I'm only basing it on his Twitter profile. Um, his Twitter, his at, I believe is bitter Asian dude, by the way. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, which is fantastic, right? Um, I'm not sure why he's bitter. I'd like to know why. But on his Twitter I think it's profile, even funnier because his character on screen is just it seems so serious and chill, not bitter. Yeah, he seems like a really nice guy. Like he's he's all business, but he seems like he's a yeah. nice guy. Uh Carson Tiva. Anyway, so so his um Twitter profile says that he is Carson Tiva in Star Wars or in The Mandalorian, but he also said that he is um Iroh in Avatar The Last Airbender. That is so cool. Right? And I know we're big, we're huge fans of Iroh. So, you know, uh, nerd worlds clashing together. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about Captain Carson Tiva in this in this scene. We're here to talk about Dave Filoni, Deborah Chow, and Rick Famuiwa, right? That's, where, that's who you want to talk about in this scene, isn't it? Did you see them at the bar? No. So there's three random people, and it's one of them has a cowboy hat on. And he's sitting uh-huh. next to a lady who is also who's next sitting next to a man. And those three people are previous directors of Mandalorian episodes. It's Dave oh, Filoni. No it's Deborah Chow, who is also in charge of um of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And it's Rick um Famuiwa, who I, I try really hard to get his name correct every time I say it, and I don't know <laughs> if I ever have, so I apologize. But he is now re- he's an executive producer of The Mandalorian, and he's uh, also directing, I believe, two of the last three episodes in the season. He directed season one, I'm sorry, season three, episode one. So he's done a lot of directing. So yeah, just they're just sitting at the bar. And they've also all, also played um, X-Wing pilots in previous episodes. So they're just hanging out. But I'm just joking. We're not here to talk about them either. <laughs> I am assuming you're, you're seeing the pitch that I'm winding up to throw you. Yeah. So I'm just going to toss it and take away, take it away. You're the batter. Baseball season has begun. Here's a big muffin that I'm throwing down the, the <laughs> middle of the plate. Knock it out. They did such a good job with live action Zeb. I Thank you. was so surprised. I was so surprised to see him because you don't really know where he leaves off at the end yep. of Rebels. You sort of have an idea of what he's planning to do, but you never get to see it. So this to me is an amazing payoff because... He just looks so awesome. And now we know where he is. They've sprinkled it in. So now you have to give us more. Star Wars <laughs> fans are selfish. And we are going to obviously be okay with whatever they give us. But they have to give us more, right? I I hope so. I mean, we have a an Ahsoka series that's going to involve Sabine confirmed. It's going to be taking place in the same time frame as The Mandalorian, which is the New Republic, the beginning of the New Republic and whatnot. Zeb is obviously out there doing his pilot thing for the New Republic. And I have to tell you the same thing. Like, he looked so good. I mean, I I think he may be the best looking animated to live action character I've ever seen, including yeah. Cad Bane, because Cad Bane looked magnificent, like shockingly good. So I want to know to what extent he was live action versus partial animation because his eyes, even the way he blinked to me was so, so perfect. And to me, I was like, okay, the rest of him seems actually like practical, but his eyes and a part of like his chin mouth area his mouth, seemed yeah. a little bit different. 
but it still looked fantastic, right? You, 100%, 100%. The only thing, and I think that, I don't know if this is what they call the Uncanny Valley, because Unca- Uncanny Valley is a thing where, like, you remember in Rogue One, uh, they had Tarkin in it, and Tarkin was live action, but he was fully animated, right? They they yeah. to- used a stand-in, and then they, they, they used uh, CGI for his face. People, and I agree, thought that that looked fantastic. It's a great job uh, that they did. But you just know your brain tells you this can't be real, yeah. Because you know that that actor no longer no is no longer alive. He could not have filmed that. So that's what they call the uncanny value when something looks so good that your brain tells you this can't be real. I think it's sort of the same type of thing with Zeb. But I just I just sat there staring, going like he's sitting there talking. It's not like he's just walking in the background. He yeah. sat there and had a couple lines of dialogue. His face was moving and it looked absolutely real to me. I'm just, I was so number one. I didn't even believe it. I told myself that that was not Zeb. It was just another person of his species, but his voice, I, I couldn't deny it for too long. And then I had to stop and look at the credits and see, you know, if it's a speaking role, you're going to get a credit up there with the name of the yeah. character. And it said Zeb. It didn't say Zeregreb Aurelius. They didn't even have his last name. It just said Zeb. But it was Did also Did they Steve... have the same voice actor? Yeah, Steve Bloom. Okay. Steve Bloom was the actor, the voice actor for, for, for him in The Mandalorian. And yeah, unmistakable, right? Any fan yeah. of Rebels knows that that's Steve Bloom and... And now, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. Where is Zeb? What is he doing? We need him. Bring him. I half expected him and our uh, Uncle Iroh homeboy to just go <laughs> and have their own little platoon to Navarro, just the two of them. But then I started thinking more logically and think, like, there's no way he's going to go and pretty much go against orders and go against the code that they have to pretty much go to the higher ups, get approval, all that stuff. So yeah. my hope was quickly diminished by my logical side, but it was still there. This is just another example of this show. And I've said it to myself over and over and over, be ready for anything. You never yeah. know who's going to show up in a scene. You just don't. And because this, this show more than others is like the intersection of all star Wars. You've got every different, I mean, they brought in cop Vanth. They killed a crate dragon. We've got Ahsoka. Now we've got Zeb. Um, the, the list goes on and on and, and I want to move on with the episode, but you, I mean, we're clearly very happy that we got to see Zeb. <laughs> yeah. In the it just made me think of the, the game of Thrones comment that we always go back to where it's yep. just dropping more and more people into it because the galaxy is so big in general, but also with these millions of characters that we've been introduced to through the tenure of star Wars, just being dropped in for the sake of just satisfying the fans or just being like, yeah, this is a flex. We can still do this and we can make it look awesome. It's just creative. It's just so creative. And I think that it is fan service, but it's fan service done right. It's yeah. it's for a purpose, right? And and you're right. They do have really an, an unlimited amount of history. Of course, it's not unlimited. It's limited. But, you know, just a deep, deep, deep well of um, of characters, of history and everything that they can go back. And if they think one of them serves a good purpose, they're going to use it. And they've shown that. Yeah. So. All right, but moving on uh, in the episode, we we have a quick scene in Coruscant. Um, uh, Carson Teva goes there. He tries to um, get some support for Navarro because he knows that things because because Grief Carga reached out to to Carson, and he's looking to get some help. And the New Republic, 
you know, give me some of your thoughts and your uh, just a, a quick idea about what we're learning more about the New Republic through this series. Because to me, they're two thumbs down. This new government is that they're they're fumbling the ball. I wholeheartedly agree. But the thing I was just thinking about was um, Yoda keeps saying early in one of the, the movies, he says that his judgment seems clouded and it's just Palpatine being able to control more than anybody really knows. I think this is it. I think this is a perfect example. It's a government who's trying to fix things but not really have any ability to do so because they're already under a thumb that they can't even see. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't tied Palpatine into it, but he clearly, I mean, we know because of the Bad Batch and the whole cloning thing, we know because of Rise of Skywalker and ultimately him coming back um, 30 years from this time. He he clearly, and we know the First Order is off in their secret part of the galaxy, uh, starting to organize and become stronger. Um, But you're right. They could be affecting the New Republic as well. Uh, and I found that that was interesting that Carson even says like something is growing out there. Something big is out there. And by the time it's on our radar, it's going to be too late. And he doesn't know he's referring to the first order, but we know he mm-hmm. is. And I think that's really cool. We're getting first order tentacles now starting to make its way into the Mandalorian. I didn't that's have that on my, my bingo first card. thought was, and that statement made me think double down on it, but that's just me being me. So yeah, I, uh, I'm not a fan that it seems like the government's more worried about a backlog of data that can be done by whoever instead of being able to bring justice and safety to its citizens. Well, and that's another thing that we know of because of the novels, the sequel era novels that have been written. And I haven't read all of them or or even a lot of them, but I do know enough to know that the New Republic does not want to have an army. They don't have like a like an organized army because they didn't want to things to turn into like a, a militaristic state, uh, and that's one of the reasons that the resistance was was formed because Leia interesting broke off from the New Republic to start the resistance because she knew that there's danger out there and she and somebody needs to be prepared for it and the New Republic clearly wasn't taking the steps to be prepared for it um, anyway so that's just a that's going on in other parts of the galaxy uh, during this similar time frame um, but we'll go ahead and move on to the to the Mandos because we get back to the Mando covert Tiva finds them because of um, R5D4 which I thought was funny I wonder if they just like text each other every every once in a while. He he tells when he arrives there, they want to know like how did you find us? And he goes, oh, a, a, somebody that I served in the rebellion with, an R five D four comes rolling out, and he's just like, hey, buddy. <laughs> so, um, and then the Mandos have a, a Mando meeting where Din gets up and tries to um, persuade the Mandos to go help Grief. Uh, I thought that was cool because he's he's offering basically like a land for service type of deal where, hey, we can go have a better uh, covert location. We can let our children play in the sun. Uh, we can have a good life on this place if we go and help this person. Um, so did you let me just, you know, just I'll just ask for your thoughts on that uh, in general, including where Paws Vizsla stands up, because uh, what happened there was not expected uh, mm-hmm. for from my uh perspective anyway how about you 
I completely expected the opposite. I expected yeah. him to continue <laughs> to just disagree with everything Din Djarin ever says or does. And just for him to continue to try and be the bad man on the block, you know. But I was glad to see that he turned his experience into sort of like a, a meaningful try to um, rally the troops instead of rally them against um, this cause. Yeah, up to this point, I've just sort of looked at him as sandpaper. Like he's there just to irritate the rest of the characters that we like. <laughs> but this this season and this episode has shown that he's more than that because he does. He, he it's almost like he's got a he's like a man of honor, right? He's he is changing his perspective on Din. He's getting on board with Bo. He even recognizes her for give, not giving up when everybody else did, right? Yeah. Uh, on his son. Um, and then he even brings up the fact that he has disagreed with Din Djarin in the past, but he's not, he, he's seeing that this is beneficial for them as a covert. And, um, I don't know that Din Djarin needed his sort of vote of confidence, but it certainly didn't hurt. So it was good to see. I like it. I disagree. I do think he needed someone to back him and he oh, cool. needed it to be someone that isn't already just always with him in bow. Right. Uh -huh. Because point. They, yeah. when he stopped talking, the other Mandos that were there, they did a really good job of, to me, showing that they were a little bit unsure, a little uneasy. They'll follow whoever the leader is, but they're not going to make the decision for themselves. But by the time that um, the second speech comes around, it seemed like a big difference. They're like, OK, let's do this. We're hooting, hollering. We're raw. Let, let's ready to go. You're right. The energy in the room did change. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good call. Um, the the Din Djarin and the Paz Vizsla energy were were certainly different. So they all give them the thumbs up, uh, and they go off and they're going to attack uh, or they're going to defend um, Navarro Navarro by attacking the pirates. Uh, this scene is just another another example of how next level the action in the Mandalorian is. I can tell you that sometimes I, I watch the Mandalorian and I see, I can see where they're putting the budget and they're putting the budget in the right places always. Yeah. So like when grief cargo was, was leading everybody out to safety, sometimes the scenes with the Mandos on the beach, I just sort of like, I think to myself, um, there aren't enough people. <laughs> yeah. It just seems like the, and I think it also has to do with COVID protocols because this is all mm. being now, um, filmed during the age of covid where you have to have certain protocols that didn't exist before so yeah like when grief was taking the, everybody out into the the lava flats to get away from the city i thought to myself is that's everybody on navarro there's like that's 25 people he goes and uses his star wars binoculars to see this giant city just yeah. in ruins because of the barrage of shots that are coming in and then he looks to his people and he's like, citizens of Navarro. I'm just like, wait, there's like nine of you there. <laughs> and who knows? Maybe some of them died. You got to see like one of the, the cooks was coming out and serving the pirates who ended up knocking yeah. over the tray. Maybe they're not all together, but it did I seem the same thing. sparse. Yeah, I, I, I thought the, exactly the same thing. But you know what? At the end of the day, I don't care about any of that. I don't care no. even a little no. bit because of things like this this action scene where we have a dogfight in the air again, which Din Djarin is just picking people off at random, at, you know, at will. The, 
the the scene where the N one is going up and then down and then up yeah. and then down reminded me of like the Incredicoaster with like little bunny hops. And I couldn't help <laughs> but think, how confident do you have to be of a pilot to not only have your life at risk, but to also have little baby Grogu in your lap yep. going on these bunny hops and killing making them crash into each other and ultimately surviving and completing your mission. I thought it was so, so, so cool. I love that they showed Grogu in the beginning when they're just arriving and, and um, Bo is setting up her very precise military plan. And Din is just going in and just shooting. (laughs) Right. Uh, But they showed Grogu with, with, uh, with Din and you're right. They didn't show us, him during the actual dogfight, but I can only imagine this little thrill seeker is in there just loving every second of it because he's yeah. on his dad's <laughs> lap and they're spinning because spinning is a good trick and they're going up and they're going down. <laughs> they're going all around. Yeah. Um, but again, just uh, top notch action there, but then we got the Mando's on the ground. They're going through, I mean, th- these people are warriors, right? These guys, they just, weapons are their religion yeah (laughs) well they were practicing their religion very much so on on navarro and um that was just awesome uh the armorer goes up there and she's you know hand to hand i'm worried about anybody that she walks into a room with if you're her me too enemy if you get to see stormtroopers just be completely botched by those tools imagine without uh any armor i felt so bad for those pirates just getting hit <laughs> with that like hammer whatever you want to call it and it's like oh man practically that would be so dangerous getting hit in the face by that but do more do it more knock the guy over the railing and then she did i was so happy yeah she took our business she is formidable oof um yeah so all that is great uh they win of course now they have their tract of land that grief karga uh, has given them which i think is really cool because now they have a safe place or seemingly safe um to do what is going to come next and we'll get to that right now uh, before i i just wanted to re- tell you i wrote down in my notes karga 2024 because i want i want grief karga to run for president <laughs> here on on in the united states because carl weathers is such a great orator like that guy he's like you may not have a home planet, but you have a home here. I'm like, <laughs> yes, I have my mail-in ballot right now. I'm writing Grief Karga in in 2024. I love that guy. That's so funny. I'm going to be uh, completely dumb here, but I had not connected the dots between him and Creed until very recently. <laughs> well, yeah, because you're watch- you're, you've been watching the Rocky movies, right? Yeah, I have yep. I finished – one through five, I haven't had time to watch Rocky Balboa yet. And then next, I'm going to do Creed. Um, spoilers for Rocky Four, but once Drago um, shuffles Apollo Creed off of this planet, he is reborn in Star Wars Galaxy as yeah. Luke Karga. That's the <laughs> he way I'm looking He hit him so hard, it. he sent him to a different galaxy. <laughs> um, okay, so last thing here on this episode is... The quite interesting shift and twist of the principal summoning the student, the armorer asking to see Bo-Katan, and they're back in that original forge from season one, which I had totally forgot about. So that's mm-hmm. a cool callback. And um, she tells Bo to take off her helmet. Uh, did not see that coming. No, I thought it was a, a little weird, but... 
also kind of important because it shows a little bit of growth and acceptance from the old ways to the new, you know, and her letting Bo be the bridge. Very important. Very well said. And that's exactly, I think, what she sees Bo-Katan as. She tells her, like, she, she number one, she trusts her to the point where, and, and has faith in her to the point that she did not need proof that Bo-Katan saw the mythosaur. She, just, she believes her. She says that that's an ushering in of the new age, or at least a sign of the ushering in of the new age. She sees that Bo-Katan has walked in both worlds. She says it a couple times. You've walked in both worlds. And she knows that she is the one that is properly prepared to go and unite more Mandalorians. And she even said it. She goes, we all need to walk the way, but some of us have, have, have not even done it the right way. Right. She's to me, that was almost her saying the ones that um, have, have walked the way have not done it the right way. Right. So I think that this is a big shift, a big twist, and a real big way of them setting up what we're going to see in these last three episodes because Bo is going to go off and look to reunite and unite Mandalorians. And she says it right off the bat. Um, I'm sorry, uh, the, the armorer says it. She says, it's time to retake Mandalore. And those yeah. words excite me. They really me excite me. Yeah. That coupled with Moff Gideon being confirmed to be out of any yeah. sort of um, containment is a crucial thing for the rest of the season. And both bring me to my final point of the Darksaber. It seems to be incredibly important. Not only is Moff, not only was Moff in possession of it, but the leader of Mandalore, isn't it? the 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 holder of the dark saber so do you think bo is going to start trying to pick a fight with din to try and get the dark saber back or how do you think it's going to get to her it's if a she's really supposed good... to be the leader to unite them and that's the thing you know because we have uh four characters i really feel like that can be leaders we've got din we've got bo we've got pause and we've got the armorer any of these people could be like Hey, I, I can be the leader and they can be the leader, but you brought up the dark saber and that is that real, the dark saber has really gone away in this, in this, in this season. We really haven't yeah. dealt with it much at all. Um, so that's definitely going to come back into play, but yeah, who is the one that's going to be and how is it going to pass to that person? I don't really yeah. think Din wants to be the leader of the Mandalores. No, uh, I don't think he has any interest in doing it, but he sort of, he bears the dark saber. So he's got to give it up or he can't even give it up. He has to fight. Mm. Well, and that's the thing is that because Bo doesn't want to, um, uh, Bo does not want to get it the wrong way. She's already gotten that. Right. So, um, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be quite the yeah. interesting, uh, end of the season. We have three episodes to go. A lot of complexities, but these are some great storytellers, so I'm excited. Talk about great storytelling. It's just been magnificent Star Wars storytelling. And now that the Bad Batch is over, we got the Mando carrying the Darksaber forward for us. I'm looking forward to seeing what that means and how this is going to play out. And I love talking about it every week uh, with, with, uh, with you, with Luke. Um, and 
uh, we hope all of you guys enjoy that too because we're going to keep it up we're going to keep rolling um thank you guys for listening and we will uh see you soon bye you can find the colby cast on twitter and instagram at the colby cast if you're wordy like me you can send an email to the at gmail.com Please subscribe to the show and leave a review on your favorite podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is not endorsed by anyone or anything for that matter. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the Colby cast, unless otherwise indicated. That'll do, donkey. That'll do.